Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Reading from Matthew 12, 22 to 32. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. And so Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom of God. Maybe we could say he's binding the strong man, binding Satan. Jesus is ushering in his kingdom by overcoming the evil powers of the kingdoms arrayed against him. And this is demonstrated in the opposition by the Pharisees. The demonization of Jesus by the Pharisees, of course, that ultimately results in his crucifixion. A death which, in fact, will defeat their kingdom and their purposes. Jesus' death, which is combined with his teaching, it exposes their blind hatred. And I believe this is one of the key passages that does that. They're taking good for evil. They say Jesus is satanic, of the devil. And they take evil, their own divisiveness and violence, they take for good. He exposes the murderous scapegoating mechanism, which is the true heart of their kingdom and of their religion. So they have confused God and the devil, such that they would destroy God incarnate. God in the flesh, in order to save their nation, in order to save their religion, in order to save themselves. This is their salvation system. 
that results in the death of Jesus. Killing God incarnate to save the nation, Israel in this instance, that is always the satanic strategy. That is the law of the universe which Christ exposes. The kingdoms of this world are kingdoms divided. And this division sustains their meaning and existence. The creator submits himself to the law of his creatures, submitting himself to murder, submitting himself to their salvation system. You know, we can see the strategy in something like nuclear strategy, mutually assured destruction, and telling the destruction of the world in nuclear winter in order to win a nuclear war. Pointing to the blind law of hatred, pointing to demonization and scapegoating. This is always at work in the kingdoms of this world. This is always at work in war. Every war is the result of some ultimate injustice, some desperate necessity in which there seems to be no options other than all-out destruction. After all, the enemy has the power to destroy the nation. They have nuclear plans, maybe, weapons of mass destruction. And we know the devil himself is on their side. And so the demonized, like Jesus, is beyond the pale. We can't negotiate, and forgiveness, of course, is unimaginable. And so the positing of Satan, the demonized other, is the Satan, which makes forgiveness or empathy or balance impossible. In the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus is an evil enemy, devoid of good, and they're going to destroy him or attempt to destroy him. His movement must be destroyed. He is the devil, they say. He is like Hitler, Osama bin Laden, Stalin, Mussolini, Putin, or the equivalent of every demonized devil who must be obliterated. However, the charge against Jesus, that itself in Jesus' explanation, that's not blasphemy yet. That's not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because the age of the Spirit is ushered in by the Messiah. That's what he's doing in these verses. And that's inclusive of his own rejection and death exposing once and for all the blind hatred that would kill him and for which he pronounced forgiveness on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. But after Christ, indeed, we do know because the scapegoating mechanism, the demonizing of Jesus, calling the good evil, glorifying evil as good, this is exposed. And this allows no room for the work of the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. There's no possibility of forgiveness. But before the age of the Spirit, this is not blasphemy. That is, the attack on the Son is not itself blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. As demonizing Jesus, doing what the Pharisees are doing, calling the good evil and evil good, that's not a peculiar problem of Pharisees or Romans. 
Demonization is the universal human problem, giving rise to violence and war and crucifixion. This is the law and organizing principle of the world which killed Jesus. And this is the mechanism Jesus exposes. Jesus saves through his death, not just what killed him, but the death-dealing orientation. He saves us from all sin, evil, and violence in his death. And so the mechanism of blind hatred, of scapegoating, of sacralizing murder, are forever exposed by the work of Christ, which ushers in the age of the Spirit. The age of the Spirit, the church age, the age of forgiveness, we might say, are made possible by the work of Christ. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is demonization and scapegoating in spite of Christ's work. I believe that's the implication of what Jesus is teaching here. The forgiveness of God is contingent. We know this. Jesus says he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive me as I forgive others. That is, it is contingent upon forgiveness. Most especially, and this is the teaching of Jesus, of the enemy. Of the unforgivable, seemingly. Of the demonized other. The demonization of the enemy in the age of the spirit is, I believe, the unforgivable sin as it cancels the possibility of forgiveness. The unforgivable sin, in other words, is projecting the impossibility of forgiveness upon the demonized other. And in church history, the demonization of Jesus is soon reversed. So that the very motive that killed Jesus is turned on the Jews in the Crusades. You know, the contagion of violence that killed Jesus, maybe this is the ultimate rejection of the gospel in that this is taken up in the name of Jesus against the Jews, against the Muslims later on. Could it be that among the first to commit the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, were those Christians who trampled on the cross of Christ by demonizing and murdering Jews in the name of Jesus. Isn't this the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Rather than obeying the gospel command, you know, forgive others, forgive your enemies. Instead of doing that, doing what is demonstrated, what is instituted by Christ, Christians, in their anti-Semitism, canceled the very heart of the gospel. And so do we when we follow this example. That is, in the book of Hebrews, these would be those who go on sinning willfully. The writer of Hebrews states that it is one thing to set aside the law of Moses in Hebrews 10, 28, but how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? That is, here is a verse very similar to Jesus' teaching. Here is something on the order of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The next verse indicates 
Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The unwillingness to suffer, the seeking of vengeance, not allowing for God's vengeance, the demonization of the other, all in the name of Jesus, this tramples upon the cross. It tramples upon the spirit of grace that it provides. Now this is kind of frightening at a personal level because we all know how easy it is to demonize the enemy. But it is also frightening at a corporate level as the contagion of demonization sweeps over people and it almost seems like there's no resisting it. The gospel is the singular point of resistance, the singular place where we should be able to stand back from the hysteria, from the propaganda of scapegoating and recognize that all-out violence, the very violence which killed the Savior, is the blasphemy from which he would save us. This is the problem or the impossibility of Christian nationalism. It's that nations work according to the logic of the scapegoat, while Christianity is the exposure of the scapegoating mechanism. The nation-state depends upon demonization, while Christianity is premised upon its defeat. The lie of demonization, apart from the exposure of Christ, it just never seems to sink in. The projection of evil necessary for war is the lie which is maybe only incrementally exposed apart from Christ. And maybe the, you know, the obvious examples in the United States. Just look at our history of wars in Vietnam, Panama, Iraq, Libya, Syria, and now Ukraine. They're all built upon a hollow demonization. Evil must be destroyed no matter the cost. Or at least this is the narrative which justifies yet one more war. You know, we have to protect human rights, establish international order. And of course there is no end to the human rights, the violations of human rights, and the chaos that's required to protect them. That is, the justifications are lies. But it seems like we can always only see this in retrospect. Germany had no nuclear weapon. The Japanese were set to surrender before Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The communist domino effect was a hoax. There were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Noriega was an American puppet. The Vietnam War was largely fought to save American face, etc., etc., etc. The past justifications now stand exposed. And the lying prognoses of easy victory are set aside as, you know, lies that now once again another demon arises and the hoax is forgotten. And pure evil is projected on the next enemy. As Christians, we should be immune from this sort of demonization. The American journalist Chris Hedges says the U.S. public has been conned once again into pouring billions into another endless war. They lied about Afghanistan. They lied about Iraq. 
and they are lying about Ukraine. That is, the pattern of lying is one we recognize in the demonization of Jesus. And yes, the Russian invasion of Ukraine was a war crime. But have we forgotten? It was provoked by threat of NATO expansion. Could it be that the war in Ukraine, as Mitch McConnell has said, is actually a proxy war? He says, first, equipping our friends on the front lines to defend themselves is a far cheaper way in both dollars and American lives to degrade Russia's ability to threaten the United States. He's saying it's a proxy war. It enriches the weapons manufacturers. It weakens the Russian military. It isolates Russia from Europe. As one expert argues, the war will only be solved through negotiations. We all know that. And the longer these negotiations are delayed, the more Ukrainians will suffer and die. In the Clint Eastwood movie, Unforgiven, maybe the one classic movie of Clint Eastwood, the old gunslinger is familiar with demonization. You know, he's quit the job. He's now a farmer. And yet his wife has died and he's run out of money and he needs to raise funds. He understands how this system works. Someone is going to pay him. He recognizes the humanity of his victims. And his own cold-blooded willingness to kill is made obvious. And so the name of the movie, you know, Unforgiven. Forgiveness is neither given nor a possibility in the black and white world. This is kind of the Western myth. Some people wear black hats and some people wear white hats. What the film does, I think, is very gospel-like. It exposes the entire edifice is built upon a lie. In this most un-Western of Western movies, you know, Christianity should save us from the war hysteria. It should save us from demonization. It saves us from scapegoating, or it should. It allows us a place to stand outside of black and white, of the dualism, in which good and evil are represented in nations and countries. We understand only God is good. And what becomes obvious is the bad guys may not be as demonic or the good guys as saintly as their white hats and black hats indicate. Apart from the necessities imposed by scapegoating, the necessary divisions of one kingdom against another, this is the logic of the world. Apart from the need for enemies, if this is exposed for what it is, and I believe this is what Christ does, we understand, oh, war always requires demonization. Thus, demonization and scapegoating this is required for nation building. And where an enemy is lacking, one must be created. This is Chris Hedges. He says, if Russia did not want to be the enemy, Russia would be forced to become the enemy. Last Friday, the Biden administration announced it would start delivering cluster bombs to Ukraine. Cluster bombs have been declared weapons of mass destruction. They are outlawed by 123 nations, 
including all of America's allies. I believe cluster bombs are the short-term equivalent of all-out warfare, in which the blind destruction of the enemy boomerangs back to kill non-combatants. The bomblets, you know, they produce multiple little bomblets. They're notorious for producing duds, each of which is a kind of small grenade. And very often these will lie for decades on the ground and they, they have a little parachute and they're brightly colored. And a kid sees it and he thinks it's a toy. So very often the people killed by cluster bombs are children. And the weapons pose a severe and lingering risk. There have been 56,000 to 86,000 civilians since World War II killed by cluster bombs, accidentally, not on purpose. The Nazis developed the weapon, and it was most heavily deployed in Vietnam. But what happened in Vietnam, the Viet Cong would recover the duds, and then they would make booby traps or use them as grenades. And there are estimates that early in the war, 75 to 90% of American casualties were the Viet Cong using cluster bombs to kill American soldiers. One might suspect that it is the cabal at the center of the military industrial complex that keeps the US engaged in these endless conflicts. As Chris Hedges has described, the pimps of war who orchestrate these military fiascos, they migrate from one administration to another. And that may indeed be true that these Dr. Strange loves, that they're plotting continual war. And maybe potentially and inevitably the ultimate war that will end civilization will be ignited. But I think what we see in the gospel is actually something even more sinister. I presume there is a diabolical force at work, a force so powerful as to be the guiding logic, organizing human civilization and its end. The grand tragedy is that this force, uncovered and defeated by Christ, is thought to service the good. Cluster bombs, weapons of mass destruction, ultimately nuclear weapons. You know, maybe they have to be called for so as to defeat the enemy. It may be that only through final war and world destruction that the battle can be won. This is the lie being posed. It's the same lie that is always posed. Apart from the gospel, the lie of scapegoating, demonization, violence, and war are the only alternative. The necessity of violence is only countered in Christ who has defeated and exposed the lie from the father of lies. To confuse this lie with the good or with the kingdom of God, this must be the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we recognize there is only one who is good. There is only one kingdom of God, and it is not divided by demonization and violence, and neither are the citizens of this kingdom. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth 
transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.